Hey guys, I'm speaking to you backstage at Cardiff Arena and even though I've been recording these episodes on the road, this is the first time I've actually done one at a venue. Now backstage, it's always a hive of activity as the crew get everything set up, as you can hear. It's like noisy, there's lots going on, there's music being played, sound check is about to start. So this is really going to be an interesting one. Uh, so excuse all the noises, I'm warning you. Hiya. Hiya. <laughs> no, no worries. <laughs> it's not as glamorous as you might think, but it's fun and the energy's here and I thought I'd lift up the curtain a bit and show you what it's like, or at least so you can hear the madness. So let's have a wander around and say hi to the team. Hi guys. Hi. How are you guys doing? You're right. It's all busy in the accounts department. It's all busy in the accounts department. What right? Spreadsheet, spreadsheet. Maybe you could ask. You could ask me a question or something. Oh my god! You got a question for me, Michelle? Have I got a question for you? You're really looking forward to South America. It's going to be a blast. I'm really looking forward to South America. It's going to be madness. We are going to have such a crack out there. It's going to be crazy stuff. Can't wait. All happy in my world. Thanks, guys. I've learned a lot during the course of this series, so I wanted to use this episode to reflect on the season so far and have a go at not having a guest this time, but just interviewing myself with the help of some of the brilliant questions that you've been sending in. So welcome to the series one finale of At Your Service. Okay, so we're back in my dressing room now. It's a lot calmer than what was going on backstage that you heard. I've got a candle on. I'm sat on my sofa. It feels really cozy. I like to make it feel quite homey. Yeah, it's nice to have a little hideaway, especially because now I've been on the road for about two and a half months. I think this Cardiff show is number 38. And I guess that leads us really nicely into our first question. Hi, Dua. My name is Greg, and I'm listening from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm still coming off the high of seeing your show about a month ago there. Um, what an absolutely awesome performance that was, and really kudos to you for putting together such an electric show. Um, my question for you today is, what kind of routine do you keep while touring to create a normalcy for yourself while moving all over the world, and how do you manage to avoid jet lag? Hey, Greg. Thank you so much for your question, and I'm so glad you enjoyed the show. I guess after two years at home, it's been taking me a little while to kind of build up my stamina. And the first 10 shows, especially in the US, just took me a little second until like I, I really got my strength. And it was at that point where after the 10th show where I no longer had to think about what was um, what I was doing or where I had to stand and where I had to be when I was singing or talking or whatever I was doing. But in terms of jet lag, I think I'm constantly trying to figure that out. Sometimes it's better than others. But I like to be really healthy and I like to kind of plan things around my day and I like to try and settle directly into the time zone. So once I get on a flight and I know that I'm leaving from London and going to New York, I immediately change my time zone and I start eating at regular times as to when it's on the new time zone that I'm going to, wherever that may be. And if it's, for example, four o'clock in the morning, then I would obviously not eat and wait. And I feel like somehow that helps my body clock sink into time. 
but to you know to stay centered you know I do yoga every day and I love just to keep my body moving I feel like that really helps me a lot and I'm really really organized I think that's another way that I feel like I like to stay in control every part of my day is kind of planned to the minute I'm like a psycho on my calendar and um it just has to be down to the minute and when I know that that's how I feel like I've got my life under control so that routine really helps I've really really loved doing this podcast and while I've had the pleasure of meeting some of my guests in person obviously life on the road means that a lot of these interviews had to be done virtually and so I had to plan all around that I did get the chance to do two interviews in person my first interview which was with CL and I did that in London while I was at home recording my third album and uh, it was really nice we kind of set up a a little um podcast booth in the little drum section of the of the studio and that was really fun it was really really intimate and lovely and there was just one glass separating me and Andrew Wyatt who I was working with who had literally just pressed his face on the glass not knowing that I was recording a podcast so in the middle of a really vulnerable moment I think it lightened the mood and we were all kind of laughing in the midst but I think it's um it's just so funny the whole kind of behind the scenes and what really happens and then what what you guys hear at home my second in-person interview was with Nadia I've known Nadia Murad for for a while and we've been friends for a while well this is the first time I ever interviewed her and I did that the morning after my Madison Square Garden show where I was up until two o'clock in the morning just saying hi to lots of family and friends who'd come to the show I mean it was such a such a surreal moment for me to even get to play Madison Square Garden and then the next morning I flew early to DC to go and meet Nadia to do the podcast and have what was probably one of the most intense and most powerful conversations I've I've had on this podcast you know Nadia's story was so incredibly moving it was very interesting to shift gears from the night before into that moment I hope that those who are listening, that they can, you know, understand that I'm not just, you know, doing the work of speaking, but I'm also donating everything that came from my book, uh, from all other awards, including Nobel Peace Prize, to the community, to rebuild the region, to advocate on behalf of women and girls, to make sure that what happened to my mother won't happen to any other. So, I'm proud of everything I, I have done so far and I will continue to advocate to make sure that I will be the last girl. But all these experiences, I mean, they're so rewarding and they're, they're memories that I will always hold on to, especially being on this whirlwind tour and then having these profound conversations with people that I really, really admire has been has been really, really interesting. But then it's also been really surprising how I found intimacy virtually with my other guests who I didn't get the chance to be in the same room with and that I've felt like I've had these incredible conversations and I've left feeling like I've really made a friend in all these people like Lisa Tadeo and Riz Ahmed and Hanya Yanagihara and Russell Brand. They've they've all left me feeling so full and so uplifted with their insight and their stories and I've just, you know, I, I've loved every single moment of this. All right, so I'd like to hear another one of your questions. Let's play something. 
Hey, Dua. My name is Mia. You are my biggest inspiration. I saw you in Long Island. Uh, I fell more and more in love with everything you do. I just had a question about your podcast with Megan. I know both of you touched on how women pour their souls out into their performances and do so many amazing things at once. I'm just so curious after seeing you perform, how do you do it all? I mean, it's truly amazing. And more specifically, how do you manage the physical toll it must take on your body and your mental health, you know, this nonstop tour. Thank you so much. I love you. Uh, Mia, thank you so much for your question. The Long Island show was a really fun one, so I'm I'm really happy you were there for that. Um, it is a really, really demanding and relentless show. And when you're in rehearsals and I'm like, yeah, let's do this dance routine here and let's perform this and let's do that. Nothing ever quite prepares you for the real thing, especially once the adrenaline hits and you're on stage and you feel the energy from the crowd. And all of a sudden you're just like, well, that definitely helps for one. You know, you kind of get in the zone and you don't really think about the toll that it could take on your body because the adrenaline is so high at that point. But I think something that really keeps me grounded is obviously spending time with my friends with my family doing something for myself every day especially when I'm traveling trying to see different places making other plans that also aren't related to tour and to work I really really take like my warm-up seriously from like my dance warm-ups to my singing warm-ups I've had to make health changes in, in my lifestyle you know when embarking on this tour I actually had laryngitis in like December and that kind of kick-started me quitting smoking a month earlier than I was actually supposed to but I did it and I've just stuck to it and I have like this habit tracker on my phone where every night I like tick off all the good things that I've done for my body and the things that I've done for myself and I even put things like make sure that I have time to read my book and make sure that I have time to do some self-care and you know that's kind of just ways that I try and stay on top of you know my mental health and staying energized is knowing that I've done things for myself that really fill up my days in different ways. And, and then, you know, I get to do the fun party 90 minute dance off every night. And that just keeps me really happy and also really sane as well. So that's a little bit on how I do it. And then obviously, you know, friends coming in and out to see me is always really nice. I've shared a lot more in these conversations about myself than I thought I would. And perhaps part of the reason I've been able to bring my guard down is because a lot of the time I'm recording these episodes in hotel rooms or sometimes at home whenever I'm like lucky enough to be there. Right now I'm doing it backstage. So I'm always in a really comfortable place. And I think up until now and as like I've progressed in my career, I feel like when I've been on the other side and doing interviews, I always feel like I've had my guard up a little bit. I always felt like maybe people were trying to catch me out or I should be careful what I say. Or, And I think I've just chosen to like open up a lot more and get allow people to get to know me. I'm still working on it. I'm still getting there. But I think um, I've also just become way more accepting of myself in different ways. Like when I normally go on TV and do interviews or whatever, then I'm just constantly, it's like glammed up and ready for telly. And now I'm just so comfortable to just being like no makeup and just in my pajamas and getting ready. And that feels really good to me. And, you know, I have very glamorous guests, like for example, Megan Thee Stallion. She was super glam when she came up and I, I loved that. You know, I loved being on the other side and being the journalist in that sense and and allowing also just my guests to shine and tell their story and their experiences. And I love that aspect too. 
it's also just been really interesting, you know, being on the road and, and doing these podcasts in a moment where I'm actually still, which doesn't really happen very often, but this has really pushed me to find that time to make time for other things in my life. And that has just been a such a saving grace. I didn't know how relentless the the tour would be when I when I agreed to doing a podcast as well. But I I don't know, this year has been so interesting for me personally and it's just been such a transformative year where I feel like I've learned so much. I've grown into a completely different person. I've learned to kind of take things on in a very different way and do things that I really, really love. So yeah, it's just been great. It's been a great learning experience. It's been wonderful to be out of my comfort zone, challenge myself in a different way. And this is just really how I've seen my life and where I want it to go in the future as well. We'll be right back after this short break. So I did an interview a few months ago and I was asked by a writer if there were any questions I hadn't been asked before that I wanted to ask. And at the time, I really couldn't think of anything. But now that I've had time to just kind of live with it and think about it, it's like one of those things like when you have an argument with someone and then you finally go to bed and then you're like, oh, I should have said this or I should have said this. I feel like with this, I've had enough time to think about what are kind of questions that I would want to ask myself. And one thing that I thought was really interesting was... Um, how it's been such a privilege to hold space for my guests that have been so open and vulnerable with me. And because for a lot of the time, the guests, you know, this is the first time that I've ever had the chance to meet them and for them to have felt so comfortable and so honest with their stories and their time and willing to really open up. In all honesty, it's given me quite a confidence boost that I can do this podcast thing and that I can be in a room and and offer that space and empathy and I'd like to think that I'm a, a really good listener and I'd like to think that I'm like that there for my friends and so to be able to offer that also to people that I've gotten to know just for the first time and be there for them in that way makes me feel of service which is really why I set off to do this in the first place you know it was it was also really interesting my whole perception of being a journalist has changed and someone who I think is really, really exceptional and someone who actually flipped the script on me when when I was on his show was Stephen Colbert and I got to do that in, uh, in New York. I was on the show and I was talking about Service 95 and the newsletter and the podcast and it was way before the podcast had even come out and he was the first person to be like, all right, ask me a question. Do you like being interviewed or interviewing? Because some people really don't like being where you are and they like the sense of control where I am. Um... <laughs> I being one of those people. I, uh, I, I like, I really, I'm really enjoying interviewing people. I really am. And I really love, like, the research element to it and learning about people. Is there, and... is there anything you'd like to ask me? <laughs> Putting me on the spot. Um... Well, you're the guest. You get to do what you want. Okay. If you'd rather interview, you may interview me. Okay. Pop star, back that way. Okay. Podcaster. Right. I love your show, by the way. Amazing audience. Thank, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Yes, thank give them a round of applause. I'm such a fan. I'm such a fan. It's such. I was so nervous backstage. I'm such a fan night. of yours. I'm thank actually you so really much. nervous. Oh my god, to, it's such an honor to, to be interview. here with you. So thank you yeah, so much please. for being here tonight. Oh I really yeah. appreciate it. A little nervous. Um, so I think something that your uh, viewers really connect with 
in mm. your comedy and your hosting skills, yeah. especially in the past few years, is how open and honest and authentic you are about the role your faith plays in your life. Oh, that's interesting. I was wondering, does your faith and your comedy ever overlap? <laughs> and does one ever win out? I think ultimately, us all being mortal, the faith will win out at the end. <laughs> but I certainly hope when I get to heaven, Jesus has a sense of humor. But I will say this, I will say this. Uh, someone was asking me earlier about what I, and this, is, this relates to faith because my faith is involved with, I'm, I'm a Christian and a Catholic and that's always connected to the idea of um, love and sacrifice being somehow related and giving yourself to other people and that death is not defeat, if you, if you can see where I'm getting at there. Someone was asking me earlier, what movie did I really enjoy this year? And I said, well, I really like Belfast, which is Kenneth Branagh's story of his childhood. And one of the reasons I love it is that I'm Irish and uh, Irish-American, and it's such an Irish movie, um, and I think this is also a Catholic thing because it's, it's funny and it's sad, and it's funny about being sad. In the same way, that sadness is like a little bit of an emotional death, but not a defeat if you can find a way to laugh about it because that laughter keeps you from having fear of it. And fear is the thing that keeps you from turning to evil devices to save you from the sadness. As Robert Hayden said, we must not be frightened or cajoled into accepting evil as our deliverance from evil. We must keep struggling to maintain our humanity, though monsters of abstraction threaten and police us. So if there's some relationship between my faith and my comedy, it's that no matter what happens, you are never defeated. You must understand and see this in the light of eternity and find some way to love and laugh with each other. I was so taken back by his brilliance and he was so eloquent and he had such a clear train of thought when he was speaking, which was so moving, not just to me, but lots of people reacted to it online afterwards as well. And, and for all the right reasons, he's, he's brilliant. I guess as I interview myself, I wanted to first look at some of the questions I asked my guests and turn it back on myself. I spoke to Russell about keeping calm, centred and spiritual whilst on tour and I absolutely loved his answer. I feel that part of my journey, and all of our journeys are not going to be the same, has been how do I use this thing, not only for the gratification of myself, the ornamentation of my ego, for my vanity, my fulfillment, my wealth, all of those things mm -hmm. that I've, you know, at various times prioritised, how can I use it to serve people. Now, look, I still earn money. I'm still not like doing this and sleeping in a, a sack in a gutter. So I'm obviously looking after myself. But like in terms of the way that I make choices, I think, you know, which part of me is driving? Which part of me is in charge in this moment now? Is it the part of me that thinks I'm not good enough, that I'll never be good enough, that I can only be fulfilled if other people like me? Or is it the part of me that knows I am all right? I think the idea of just staying grounded and removing yourself from your ego is kind of the most important way to stay centered. I think that's also the best way for you to be of service as well. I think for me, when I think about spirituality, it's always about believing in something that's bigger than me because I feel like, what is the point if you feel like everything ends with you? I feel like that only feeds into your ego. And if you feel like whatever you're doing benefits 
a larger group of people or you can share your experience with someone else and you know whatever you're going through I think that in my music as well it's like I I, I want to be able to write music that resonates with people in a very personal way and that's why I feel like I put myself or my my very personal stories on the line and I have no fear about people knowing about things that I'm going through because I feel like maybe it could find a home with someone else and that can serve in its own way and so I think that's been something that's really carried me through in terms of spirituality and believing that, you know, some things do just, you know, they happen for a reason, whether good or bad, everything's supposed to like lead you to the path that you're meant to be on and every experience will, will teach you something new. When things don't work out, I never see it as like a failure. I see it now, not something that I used to see. I never used to see it like this before. I think I've grown into this sentiment is that, you know, now I take everything as a lesson and by going through certain experiences in my life, it's taught me what I actually really want and what I, you know, what I need. So I see everything as a win and I try and keep really optimistic with my spirituality in that way. And if you've listened to my my conversation with Russell Brand, if you haven't, please go back and listen to it. But if you have, he recommended this book called The Soul's Code, written by James Hillman, which he very, very kindly sent to me. And um, I'm currently halfway through it. It's a book that I'm reading right now and it's, you know, it says In Search of Character and Calling. And it's just this really powerful philosophical book about the soul's code. And it just talks about how we are all just so unique and that there's a reason for each and every single one of us here. I think the way I'm seeing it is how we can all bring something to the table and how we all each have a very specific calling and how that comes to us in special ways. And so I'm I'm really enjoying this book at the moment, which I'm reading. I, I normally like to dive into fiction and get away from everything that's happening, but this has been a really lovely book that Russell has sent me. So I'm grateful for this and I'm happy to share it with you guys as well. So speaking of books and authors, I mean, I've really had the chance to talk to some of my absolute favorites and I spoke to Hanya Yanagahara about what she was curious about when she wrote A Little Life and Alyssa in Denver also asked what the part of me is that keeps me moving you know I, I've had to think about that a lot and I'm, I'm just I'm driven by curiosity I love to talk about all kinds of different issues I love to ask questions I'm so fascinated by people's different experiences and I love to get deeper into activism I love to be more in the know I think we're also at a, at a time in the world where everybody wants to have a greater knowledge I think people want to be able to relate and be able to be open in conversation with others they want to understand people's experience so we can have a more open dialogue with one another and I think that's definitely happening uh, more so now than ever before you know I think we're all uniting in a way where we can be so much more open and accessible and loving towards each other. And I think that really comes out of curiosity and wanting to learn and understand. And of course, yes, there are people that don't want to learn and don't want to understand. And, you know, we can try and persuade them, but it's also really nice to have this kind of community where we can talk about our experiences in one way or the other. And um, there are some great issues as well coming up with Service 95 and the newsletter, which for one, you know, through the newsletter, as well as, you know, commissioning stories that I'm really interested in with my incredible team that I work with, but also just 
being curious and learning so much. You know, I would love to get more into in, in the next few issues. I want to talk about trans activism and activists all around the world and things that we can do to help that fight as well and and the acceptance around that I want to do an issue about sex that's really fun and open and talk about things that maybe we don't necessarily talk about as openly I want to talk about psychedelics and mushrooms and I want to know you know the ins and outs of that and lots to be curious about and lots to ask questions and you know if you guys have anything that you're interested in and want to ask questions about and want to know more of you know I'm always listening message us on Instagram or send us your voice notes. All those things get taken into consideration, especially for our newsletters. This is all about us being curious and learning together. And my curiosity is endless. I've been so absorbed in some of the conversations I've had within this podcast that it's been so interesting for me to look back at some of the recurring themes. And sometimes I don't even realize how present something is for me until I look back in hindsight. And something that's just been reoccurring with all my guests which has completely happened by accident but I guess it's been the theme of this season is cultural duality and it just came up a lot with Hanya with Riz with Lisa with Edward maybe subconsciously it's been something that I've naturally you know gone towards having you know knowing my background and wanting to know what that experience is for other people and what that was like in their upbringing Social media was also a recurring theme, you know, looking at the effect it can have on people's confidence and work, you know, as Olivia Roustan, creative director of French fashion house Balmain, explained. You can pretend on social media whatever you want. Like no one would have ever known that I had an accident and I was burned. You know, you can play with some picture from the time, yeah. from like two years ago. You can you can hide and put a Balmain monogram, you know, whatever. <laughs> and people feel like, okay, uh, he like his monogram and his turtleneck. But at the end, I was I was hiding a lot of scars, and I, and one day I cried a lot. And my my doctor called me, and he's like, and my I know I was in the hospital. And my doctor told me, "Why are you crying?" I'm like, "Because I felt like I was a super superhero, and actually I feel so weak now that I'm not anymore a superhero." And his answer was beautiful. He said, "I don't I don't believe in a superhero that has no scars." Wow. And there it's I started to wake true. up, and I was like, "You know what? He's right." I'm not yeah. going to be a superhero, but at least I'm going to try to be a hero in my own little bubble world. And um, and my scar is going to be my strength. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, at the same time, I'm telling you that I feel really humble because I heal so well and I feel free. Again, that was really of service to me. And especially as someone who I feel like has grown with social media at my fingertips it's always been very interesting to see the other side of it and the not so fun side and dealing with that um so having that to kind of bounce off with with Olivier was really powerful and and also the idea of criticism and how you deal with it came up with lots of my guests but it was actually writer Hanya Yanagahara's attitude to reviews that really really stuck with me I don't read reviews I don't read anything about myself. I've never done it. And my first book was published in 2013, so almost a decade ago. And I have never once read a review, read a profile, read an article, nothing. And when I was starting out, an older established writer said to me, the good reviews are never good enough and the bad ones stay with you forever. And I just don't engage. I can't change the work. It's already out there. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to change the way I write. It's not possible. And so I don't really understand what the point is. It just feels like emotional self-abuse. I mean, 
all I could ever dream of is to have Hanya's confidence. I feel like the way that she speaks with such strength and, and poise as well is, is incredibly powerful. And, you know, baby steps, maybe I won't read the reviews one day, but in all honesty, it has been really nice, like the response to the podcasts that we've received and, you know, reading that has been really wonderful and has gotten me really, really excited for the next season as well and just getting better at it. So, yeah, maybe the good ones do stick with you for a little bit. We'll be right back after this short break. So let's take another question. Hey, Dua. My name is Nikki, and I'm from Seattle, Washington, in the States. Um, My question for you is, do you ever lose inspiration or even motivation to write or just be creative? And if you do, how do you get that back? Hey, Nikki. That's a really, really good question. Thank you so much for sending that in. I think... It's not necessarily losing motivation to be creative. I think sometimes when you're like when I'm in the studio, for example, and I'm writing every day, there is a chance, obviously, of getting writer's block and things not really working out the way that you wanted to. Before, when I was writing my first album, I used to be incredibly hard on myself and I would leave, you know, a session feeling like I'd underperformed, like I wasn't a good enough writer. And and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was really proving to myself and to the people in the room that I can write, that I deserve to be here, that I, you know, I was in in rooms with people, you know, this was before like a lot of my music had come out. And so I think when things didn't work out, I would really take it quite personally and it would really get me down. And I chose to take a very different outlook on it when I was working on my second one and just learning to be a bit kinder to myself. You know, we can't always be creative and at the top of our game and it's okay to be a little bit tired and maybe not with it. And I think understanding and being accepting that that's okay and that that happens. And when that does happen, I go and take a walk or I go for a nice lunch or I go out with friends or I go, you know what, maybe I just need life to happen. And then I can come back and see things or hear things with different ears is how I like to say it. When I go back into the room, that's always really helpful. And I think sometimes we have to learn to not be so hard on ourselves because that can be the absolute killer to creativity. You have to let things flow. And when they come, you'll know when it's right. We also had so many questions from you all asking about how I stay confident. And, you know, I I feel like when I get up on stage, there's a different kind of confidence. And, you know, I I feel very invincible at times when I get up and I'm performing and I, I feel so excited and there's a lot of adrenaline. And, you know, sometimes I don't feel confident at all. There are moments when I'm on stage every night and, yeah, I am quite exposed and I'm like dancing and performing and I feel like I have to work out and stay really healthy in order to feel good about myself and so I only like to do things that make me feel good and that also helps with my confidence. I like to lean on my support network as well, my friends and my family who are always there. I also just at the end of last year started therapy and I was one of those people where I was like, oh, I don't have problems, it's fine, like I don't need to go to therapy and I think when I started 
it was just so incredibly insightful and helpful and so nice to have an unbiased opinion and just to be able to kind of compartmentalize things that are going on and have somebody just talk through certain experiences you know it's okay and even if you don't want to go to therapy it's okay to ask your friends for help and ask them to be there for you and talk to them about your experiences instead of bottling it up I think that's really really important and the same goes the other way it's always reach out to your friends and see how they're doing during my conversation with Megan the Stallion she was talking about how sometimes when you're the strong friend in the friendship group you know people think that you're always going to be okay you know don't forget to look out for your strong friends as well because you never know they might need it the most and they may be putting on a front to be the tough one and to be the one supporting everyone else but it's always good to look out for them too and you know it's in the same way how Riz said social media catches everyone on their fake best day they come to your show they see you you're being a powerhouse you're being vulnerable you've got the costume changes you've got the choreographies bang it's like wow they don't know what happened backstage. They don't know about you just stopping and just crying in the middle of a song maybe because it's just, I'm so true. tired or I messed that it's up true. or, you know, having the stomach. But, you know, from the outside, it always looks like that. And I think in a way, that's what's so funny about social media. You're catching everyone on their fake best day. Yeah, And the reality is, <laughs> there's no, I don't ever there's go no bad on social There's no crying. I don't ever go on social media and feel better about myself. I don't know about you, but I'm just always going, man, I'm behind. I'm missing. I'm, I'm the loser <laughs> here. And um, the reality is it's been a roller coaster and it continues to be a roller coaster. There's also this like influx of toxic positivity. And, you know, it's sometimes better. There's so much beauty in letting emotions flow through you rather than trying to stop them. And just being like, oh, everything's perfect and everything's great. And it's okay when things are not great and you don't have to put on a front all the time. And it's okay to ask for help. And I think we need to learn to do more of that as well. And of course, just try find the fun in life and don't take things too seriously. Especially the internet's not real. So just go out and have some fun. So I don't know if you guys can hear, but... Um, sound check rehearsals have just started which means it's almost time for me to go and put on a show and I'm just so excited to be traveling around and getting to perform for you all and it actually leads me right into my next question from one of you hey Dua my name is Nat I live in Miami Florida okay I've been loving your pod and your newsletter and I have one question which is when you're on tour how do you balance the strict rehearsal and production schedules and promo cycles while at the same time having enough time to really go out and explore the cities you're in. I've noticed that even just now in the early days of the tour, you've, you've gone out to the beach in Miami, went to restaurants, tried fried chicken in Nashville, had brunch in Atlanta. And yeah, how do you make the time to work hard and play hard? Hey, Nat. I think if you love something, you can always find time for it. For me, it's been really important to be able to have fun while I'm on the road as well. It keeps me really focused that I can do both things. And I think it would be such a shame if I was in all these places and didn't get to go and try something delicious or go and relax by a beach or go to a nice park or go and see something that I haven't seen before. It makes me feel like I've really been in that city and really visited it and also makes for great recommendations that I can then share with my friends. And we have time for one more question. Hi, Dua. This is Shay. 
I am listening from Tampa Bay area of Florida, and I absolutely love your podcast for many reasons. One of the main reasons is the diversity of your speakers. It really keeps the listeners on our toes each week. I mean, from fashion with Livier to grief and sexuality with Tadeo. And it kind of brought me to the question of what is the basis of you choosing these people? I mean, how are you choosing who you're deciding to interview? And I'd love to hear back from you, Dua. Thank you so much. Hey, Shay. Choosing my podcast guests has been a really, really fun experience. I've wanted to have such a wide variety of artists, authors, actors, activists, people that really just, I felt like, had really interesting insight and have had really interesting life stories and can be of service to to all of us. And I think I've done a really good job at picking because they've been so wonderful and they've given so much. And do you know what? I'm extremely looking forward to season two because now I'm starting to get the hang of this thing. And maybe it's not necessarily just like household names, but also people where we can learn from their experiences and what they've been through. But at the same time, I'd love to keep it light because I really, really love the funny moments as well that I've had on this podcast. And um, one of the funniest moments was really Elton talking about Rod Stewart taking poppers in Studio 54. To be honest with you, I used to go there to dance because it was the start of great disco music. The DJ was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And the music was just, there were great people to sit there and talk to on the booths, in the booths and whatever. But mostly I was up and down because I loved to dance and the music was so fabulous. And I remember taking Rod Stewart there and he didn't want to dance. And I said, come on, get on the floor. <laughs> and so I had a, a bottle of poppers um, and I shoved it under his nose and we were on the dance floor <laughs> for an hour and a half. And uh, he, it was just great fun. I absolutely loved Elton. I'm going to need more guests like that. That's just going to be funny and hilarious and give us, give us all the goss. So there you have it, guys. My purpose for this was to let you in on the process and in on me. And I hope I've achieved that with lots more to come. It's been an absolute pleasure to do this podcast. And we're hatching some amazing plans for the summer and also for season two. So I'll see you there. Stay tuned. Bye from Cardiff. I'm off to soundcheck. Mwah.